this morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Dane Brugler going to join us, 8.30, Scott Agnes at 9 o'clock. <laughs> I was laughing. We didn't talk about this during the morning check down. Uh, we had other more important things to get to. Uh, but last night, uh, last night, Rudy Gobert being put in a oh, reverse awesome. sleeper hold by Draymond Green at the 10-17 mark of the first quarter. No one had scored no yet. No one had scored yet uh, between the Timberwolves and the Warriors. It was there in Golden State. By the way, Golden State's like 1-4 at home, if anyone if anyone cares. But Clay Thompson and Jaden McDaniels got into it. I guess Rudy, Rudy Gobert looked like stepped up. It's just a bunch of players, and out of nowhere, your boy Draymond Green... Uh, puts him in a headlock, so there's going to be a fine and a suspension, I'm sure. That but was quite the headlock. I mean, Draymond's it, it really giving was. up what? As a pro wrestling inches? fan, that was expert technique, well, did, yeah. by the way. Did you see Steve Kerr? He was almost doing a Van Gundy hanging on to Morning's leg. Like He was like, whoa, whoa, we don't need to do this 90 seconds a into this point game. hasn't been scored yet. Zero points <laughs> scored. Is it bad? The first thing I think of is, wait, is Clay Thompson sleeping with Jade McDaniels' girl, or well, is Jade McDaniels sleeping with Clay Thompson? Well, yeah, I, and I hate to do this. I mean, zero Zero, zero. What, what, what? No, there's beef there. What, what Those, happened? Something happened on Instagram, right? Uh, that has got Pre-game those two. beef? Yeah, something yeah. had to happen. And then the other thing I always think of. You took our of, ball rack and brought it to your side of the court. How dare you. Is, can you. Can you think about Rudy Gobert without the COVID stuff? No. Can, can you? Touching the phone. Can, because he was the first yeah. one. I honestly feel bad for him. Well, I mean, that's why. Whether you feel Hindsight's bad for him or not. Yeah, whether you feel that. bad for him that's, or not. Unfortunately, when I think of Rudy Gobert, I hate to say it, it's the first thing I think of now. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and Rudy Gobert is twenty twenty. <laughs> Look, <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Is it crazy that I you know, thought about driving in? I'm like, man. Should Mark put together a montage for the Pacers game last night? I, I don't, is that overreacting a little bit too much to the win? I, I just think that one means a little bit more. I, I, I know it counts for one in the standings. It's a I big one up for the Magic game. How about that? But there's just, <laughs> you had to deal with so much just kind of BS throughout the game. Well, you, you, thought, you could have lost the game. I mean, it looked like, you know, okay, in the final six minutes, Philly makes the run. I mean, they take control when and win the game. comes back on the floor. Yeah. I'm like, all right, here we go again. We know how this one's going to end. And again, I thought Miles Turner, we played the audio a few minutes ago, extremely candid. You know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Miles pretty much said, "Old me does not react in a positive way to how the first three and a half quarters went." But over time, he has realized, you know, what maybe it's more mentally, honestly, than physically. Of, uh, you know, I can punch back a little bit in this matchup, and he did that to close it out. Again, Halliburton. When, when Halliburton, did you guys ever watch the TV show Arthur growing up? Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, my favorite. Aardvark out there. I, frankly, I don't know if there's any others that I'd put it on his pedestal. When Halliburton starts skipping, <laughs> I think he's Arthur. And he was okay. skipping early last night. Okay. He was skipping around the floor in celebration mode. I'm like, this dude, just follow him. Uh, literally, follow him. Like He's just going to lead and lead and lead. He did that with the scoring. He did that with his passing. And again, on a night where even the other guys, Andy, that you would think about. Oh, Buddy healed. Eh, off shooting night. Right. Matherin. Uh, yep. One of those where Carlisle clearly Ma- yeah, wasn't. Matherin wasn't good. Carlisle was not in the Matherin mood right. last yeah, night. Yeah, which I understand. Other guys were playing better. You know, you've got all your bigs that are in and out of the lineup. You know, you you didn't even have like the big bench night from Neesmith scoring. You know, Nemhard kind of had a, a smaller role than that than usual. Um, you still are able. <laughs> Does that bring you down memory lane? Just skipping around right there. Hell I feel yeah. like I just turned on PBS. Well, he was talking to the crowd and everything else. He was. That Philly crowd brings it out, man. Again, what I said at at seven oh five today. It's a just a, Such youth, a joyous. Song. It's, a, it's a youthful, energetic team. And can they keep that going through eighty two games? I mean, obviously we're eleven in. That's going to be uh, difficult. We'll see if they do. There are going to be injuries. Please God, have it not be uh, to Halliburton. No, but boy. there's Don't just even go there. No, I need forty five wins. There's just you know there's just a youthful excitement with this team and winning a game like last night. You know what it does as well. And we probably think this more when it's like a new coach, uh, maybe maybe even in the NFL, that you do all these things and and you need to win games to kind of validate, hey, we're going through this tough practice, coaches are all over us, but we're doing this and now it's validation. We're winning games, we're getting first downs, we're, we're a good team. And, and a win like last night is that for the Pacers yeah, a little without bit, right? Question. 
Without question. And, you know, certainly now how do you handle a little bit more? Not a bullseye, but now how do you handle the praise? And we talk about that with the Colts quite often. And the Colts are going to come back for their bye week. And it's not necessarily praise, but, you know, does a two-game win streak turn into three or turn into four? Or does it get back to now you lose two of three? And so obviously those will be things to continue to watch with the Pacers. I, I'm proud of us, Andy, that we're 45, min- 45 minutes into the show. Uh-oh. And we have not focused too much at all, really, on the officiating. Oof. I didn't think it was great by any means. I didn't think it was the worst thing I've ever seen in the world. Um, obviously, how the no call happens on Jalen Smith and the no stoppage really kind of bothered me after that either. Um, the one big officiating gaffe to me is more of, I guess, a, a rule book one. Should we walk the audience through what happened there with the concussion protocol for Tobias Harris? Three minutes later, the Sixers get to pick a different free throw shooter than shot the foul shots three minutes earlier. And Harris was back so fast. Like Buckner, he was back so fast. Buckner on the call was like, oh, he's already back. Yeah, Quinn, back. Quinn wanted to go fake injury right away on that. Um, then he's in the locker room. I'm like, Quinn, maybe a little premature on that. But then sure enough, he did sprint out of there like Paul Pierce in a wheelchair. I... um. Okay, so this is what... Yeah, walk us through it. Okay, Bruce Brown gets tangled up. Honestly, it looked like a bit of a wrestling move there. Bruce Brown, you know, brings uh, Tobias Harris to the ground. More of a, you know, I'm just trying to brace my own fall for this. Tobias Harris gets checked out. Clearly, there's something neck-related of question. So he gets sent to the locker room, and I guess in some announcement, it it was made that um, it was concussion protocol-related. But initially, that was not made clear. So, under the rules, if a player goes to the locker room, the opposing team gets to pick the new foul shooter, and that player cannot return to the game. I, I guess I wasn't totally up to date with that rule. So, the Pacers chose, was it Kenyon Martin's kid? Is that who they chose? I, I believe it was, yes. So, Kenyon Martin's kid, which, you know, ages me, comes to the foul line, bricks two free throws, and then, as you pointed out, Tobias Harris comes back into the game very quickly. So therefore, it was discovered it was concussion protocol. So those in the you know league replay booth in New Jersey or wherever, they call into the arena and they say, wait a minute, Philadelphia should have been able to choose the free throw shooter there, not Indiana because it was concussion protocol related. So after three minutes of game action, <laughs> we go back and now Philadelphia puts... Who what, was it? D'Anthony Melton maybe on the line? I don't know. Somebody that made both both foul shots makes both foul shots, and the game continues with a three minute later change with two free throws. So my questions are this: Why wouldn't you just say my player is being evaluated for a concussion every time they get sent to the locker room like that? It's a great point. I mean, it, it, it is a great. point. I mean, if you're the especially, Pacers, especially if you can be back in three, four, five minutes. So picture whatever Jalen Smith gets hit and goes to the locker room, and it, he's being evaluated for a concussion. Who shoots Jalen Smith's free throws? The Sixers want to pick Isaiah Jackson. The Pacers can say, "Oh no, uh, that's a concussion protocol. We get to pick our foul shooter. It'll be Tyrese Halliburton at the line." Thank you very much. So that's one question I have, and two, it's like this is a slippery slope with reviewing everything. Three minutes go by. And you're allowed to change something like that? Okay, so the thing that came to my mind, uh, and yes, you should be exasperated, and we're like, going to get this Carlisle sound. limitations well, a little well, bit Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, like, if you, if there is a bad call, and now ultimately the NFL, like, go back in the NFL and the Browns game, right? They didn't say that it was an uncatchable pass, but they, I forget what was it, they said that EJ Speed, uh, you know, hit the hit the arm of P.J. Walker, and what they tell you is yeah, Darryl what? Baker can, committed the illegal infraction, it just right. happened after. After the fumble occurred, uh, so what do they what do they always tell you? Well, we can't go back and really change anything. I mean, going back, you're right. Three minutes in a game in an NBA, hell, the way these two teams play, how many possessions is that? Now, Rick Carlisle did. Mark found it. Appreciate it because I actually didn't cut this uh, for today. Rick Carlisle was asked about this. He did. This is about 30 seconds, 30, 40 seconds. He did. He didn't mention this in the post game last night. Some adjustments, but. You know, the, the big adjustment was the disposition and the persistence and the, the, the understanding that, you know, this is an enormous part of the game. Um, you know, we did rebounding drills in practice yesterday. He gets every, to it here in a second. He gets NBA to it here in a second. Nightmare, you know, our, our rebounding drills in practice. I mean, 
every time you turn around, it looks like somebody's going to get hurt. But we we were able to do it just to establish that you know this this was a necessary thing. This is this, this has got to be a habit. It's got to be a habit, and so we did a better job tonight. I guess that's not it. I guess that's not it. Well, we false alarm. Well, we tried. Well, there there were two in there. He talks about it. He he wasn't asking. He talks about it on the back end of another answer. Now he where, wasn't where, that where he had it explained to him. He didn't he didn't like it, but he said what you said that they buzzed down. I mean, yeah, the, the NBA buzzed down five minutes later. Two. Yes, five minutes later they buzzed down. And said, "Hey, we got this wrong here. We need to change this thing yeah, up." It's it's probably the right you know, letter of the law in terms of the officials do what the rule book says. Right. The rule book to me just needs a major alteration with that. And I've never seen that in an NBA game. Now, if you look at the end of the night, I mean, from a foul shots and a fouls called, it actually ended up pretty similar in the game um, throughout that. But that was such a weird, weird sequence there, uh, kind of early to the midway point there. Of the fourth quarter. I thought free throws were going to cost the Pacers the game last night. Like, missing them. I, I did. Yeah. Mi- missing right, them. I mean, right. they missed... Uh, Not what, the 10? lack of shooting Yeah, they them, missed... Yeah. Ten, no, they missed... Uh, da, da, yeah, they missed 10 last night. They shot 69%. And, I, I mean, you look at you look at Philly, and they only missed one. And that was one of those games. You know, I think what I found it, it good about this game, more so than the Cleveland game, and more so... I know San Antonio's not good, but when Bignana came in here and didn't play very much, and, hey, they it was a back-to-back. There was there was no back-to-back in this game. Joel Embiid played his ass off. You know, Maxi was in there. Maxi had a good second half, fourth quarter. Melton for them was fantastic. And so, you know, this wasn't one of those games where Philly decided to to sit a few guys or Embiid didn't play last night or it's a back to back. And so, you know, you got to you, you got to sit a few guys or you got to look at minutes and that sort of thing. That wasn't the case. No, Philly treated it, not that. at all. And, and Andy, I kind of laugh when someone brought up yesterday it's the in-season tournament and Bede's gonna want to play and, and I was wrong on that I, I kind of laughed it off like no he doesn't care about that you, know, you think that's it game. you think that's it I, I don't <laughs> I'll give him Bede credit for playing I mean how many guys do you see questionable on the injury report with the stardom of uh, Joel and Bede and they don't play in that game with you know, a national game tonight so many exactly with a national game tonight yeah this is a great comment here uh, from Lord Smoke in the YouTube chat you know had Lord Martin Smoke. made those two free throws do they take those two free throws away can you imagine the uproar in Philly? Had he made the two free throws? And then they put a new guy on the line three minutes later and he bricks one or two? Then they have to announce it. The refs right. now have to announce it with their little microphone like the NFL guys do. And, and we didn't even boo that, which, you know, selfishly, I think the NBA's done a decent job with that of the, you know, the officials coming to the scores table and making an announcement of that. We didn't get that last night. I know Darren's been hanging in there for a while. He wanted to talk a little Rick Carlisle. Uh, Darren, good uh, Wednesday morning to you. Good morning, guys. Just uh, wanted to say, um, when they hired Carlisle, I, I was excited. The experienced coach that has a championship, but every time you guys have him on there, he is more and more impressive. I was the intellect and the the kind of take on the game that I don't think a lot of other coaches have. Uh, that's just a comment. And then, question about the Colts' offensive line: uh, When French and Freeland have been playing, do you see a drop off at all, or do you think that the Colts could consider uh, maybe moving on from Brayton and? Um, Matt Kelly or uh, Ryan Kelly next year and um, saving some some cash and maybe using it somewhere else. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate that. I'll start with Carlisle. I, I, I've said this before when we have him on every Tuesday. I just want to sit there and listen. I, I, I know oh, he's great. I try not to let my mind think about, okay, what did Andy just ask? What do I need to ask? Like, what, what should my follow-up be? I just want to listen to it. And I find myself, and hand raised, I don't go back and re-listen to a lot of our interviews. That's one I do every single day. Every single Tuesday that we have him on, I want to go back and listen. Like, what did I miss? Because I just, again, I appreciate his candor and everything on that. Uh, thoughts on that Colts offensive line one? I mean, the offensive line's been so injured this season. <laughs> Don't you need like seven guys if you're the Colts? Yeah, on I an would... offensive line. I mean, they've used, they've had what three three different guys have had concussions on the offensive line. Yeah, Brayton Smith missed a month. Is is Raymond the only one who hasn't missed time, or has he missed time? I'm even forgetting no, now. He missed time. Yeah, yeah, he missed time. Nelson's the only one. That Nelson. Hasn't, right? So yeah, I mean, I mean, four of the five guys have missed time there. So maybe fries. I mean the the most the most solid offensive lineman you can give me, I kind of feel like, give me six or seven at least. Yeah, they could save a good amount of money with either of those moving on, but I, I would not go down that path 
but you know, to the question about has the play dropped off, um, I would say French has kind of done a nice job, honestly. And he's your third string center because Danny Penter is hurt as well. Uh, he's done a nice job. I'm more worried about with Ryan Kelly, Andy. That's a second concussion in a year. I know. So I know, know. How he's gonna miss a couple weeks. Does he react to that uh, quickly before we hit a break? Greg asked about Jalen Smith. No update on him from Rick Carlisle last night. Again, sent to the hospital. Concussion was the concern there. Uh, we'll see if the Pacers provide any update here this morning on that. We'll continue the Pacers conversation. Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst, in a half hour. Yeah, a lot of Pacer talk today. You miss any of the conversation, you can find it at 1075thefan.com. You can rewatch the YouTube, whatever it may be. We appreciate uh, you consuming our show, whether it be live or on podcast. All right, let's jump to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Always love to catch up with Dane Brugler from The Athletic. A little bi-week football talk here for the Colts. We can talk some NFL, obviously talk uh, prospects as we get ready. It's never too early, KB, to get ready for the draft. Uh, the Perfect bye week. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, we love it uh, all the time, not even on the bye weeks. The Colts right now, uh, if the draft were today, would pick 17th. So lots of options there. Dane, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning, guys. Uh, well, man, thanks so much for joining us here early on this Wednesday. Um, a couple days ago, was it a week, week and a half ago, you put out your, your big board. Uh, you would Drake May over Caleb Williams. I guess the easy question would be, why? What has happened in the last year with these two prospects? Does it matter who is drafting at the top? Who may prefer one over the other? How do you see this quarterback battle kind of filling out over the next few months? Well, and even over the summer, uh, writing about these two players, uh, the gap was always razor thin. This was a 1A, 1B type of situation. And throughout the course of this year, it's less about what Caleb has struggled to do, and it's more about uh, Drake May being a lot more consistent from the pocket and just being able to execute at a higher rate without, in, in terms of in structure. You love the out-of-structure plays. You love what uh, these quarterbacks are able to do when things break down, buy time, make plays happen. But show me a guy that can absolutely, I know that they can do it from the pocket, within structure, understand the play design, and, and get the job done. And I think Drake May has done that at a higher level. And, you know, you, you look at the traits that he offers, the size, the arm strength, uh, the athleticism, he's cut from the same cloth as Justin Herbert. And that's not to take anything away from Caleb Williams. He's still a tremendous prospect uh, and has a very good chance to go number one overall. I, I, bottom line, this is not going to be a consensus quarterback one in this draft. Some teams prefer Drake May. Some teams prefer Caleb Williams. And, you know, the way the draft order is shaken out, it's, it's likely going to be either the Bears picking number one from the Carolina pick or uh, the Giants or the Patriots. Uh, those are the, the, the three clear favorites for that number one overall pick. So uh, plenty of time you know, before we figure out that draft order, but we'll be debating these quarterbacks uh, up until uh, draft weekend, kind of similar to last year with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and A.T. Richardson and Will Levis. And so, uh, you know, it'll be an interesting quarterback uh, draft and, and even after those two guys. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun topics here over the next uh, five months. He's a great Dane Brugler. Obviously, find his work at The Athletic. Prospects to Pros is the, is the podcast. An awesome listen here, even before we get into the meat, if you will, of draft season here coming up. Dane, I want to ask your thoughts a little bit more Colts-related to the 2024 class. To me, wideout, defensive end. Those are the two needs that stand above the rest. It almost seems like annually for the last few years we've gotten into this oh there's always good wideout depth this year obviously you have the crown jewel and Marvin Harrison but still there seems to be some other guys people feel good about so I'm curious enlighten us a little bit more on the edge rush group because I think I can make the argument that that might be the stronger need for the Colts yeah and you know I think we uh, in the past seemed to always been at least one maybe two pass rushers every year that just is kind of stands out as, as a top tier player top tier prospect we just don't have that guy necessarily this year. We, we, there's some quality pass rushers that'll be available, and, and and look, you know where the Colts will be picking will probably be somewhere in the teens. Uh, so it, it might, if they did want to go that direction, and obviously we know, you know, General Manager Chris Ballard, he, he would love to build in the trenches, uh, offensive line, defensive line. He would love, uh, especially on that defensive line, add more depth, more guys that can get after the quarterback. And, you know, this year's draft, I, I think, you know, you've got a few guys at the top with Dallas Turner from Alabama, uh, Leia Tulatu from UCLA, Jared Verse, Florida State. 
Um, now these guys are more, um, I, I think, you know, mid first round type of players than no doubt about it. Top 10 picks. But like we said, where the Colts will likely be picking in this draft, that could work out uh, to their favor. And it just kind of depends on the type of rusher they want. Dallas Turner is more of the speed guy, but he's also outstanding versus the run. Jared Verse uh, doesn't necessarily have the numbers, the production in the backfield, but you watch the tape and you see that first step burst. You see a guy that understands hand use and how to break down the rhythm of blockers. And then Latu from UCLA, one of the most productive uh, defensive ends uh, we've we've seen the last two years at the college level. Uh, his cross chop, his technical understanding of his feet and his hands, uh, really tremendous. And so as long as the medicals are okay with him, uh, he'll be somewhere in that top 20 mix. So, uh, yeah, this is another very strong strong wide receiver group uh the pass rushers not as much but uh, where the Colts will be picking could work out in their favor Dane I am heading to my first SEC football (laughs) game this weekend my excitement is through the roof that will be Georgia and Tennessee uh how high of a draft pick will I be watching in Brock Bowers if I'm not mistaken I believe you had him fourth on your top 50 players yeah, and I think a lot of people scoff at taking a tight end in the top five, top seven, but this is a guy that deserves to be drafted that high. Um, this is a you know, 21-year-old version of a George Kittle. Um, you know, the athleticism that he brings, um, you know, the competitiveness. Um, you know, he, he had that tightrope ankle surgery, and it's usually a four- to six-week injury. He missed two games. Uh, and there, there was talk about, oh, maybe he should shut it down. And uh, he said after the game this past weekend that it just pissed him off. You know, he's like, I, I play football. What are you, what are you guys talking about? Uh, and this is a guy that's a, a difference maker. And I, I do think that it takes an offensive play caller to understand that and to use him in that way. He's not just a, okay, line him up in line and let's go play. Like, you want him – to be in the slot you want him to be he can he can line up in line um but you know you want him flexed across the formation and used all over the field uh because you want to use him as a weapon and you watch georgia when you go to this game uh, on uh, saturday the whole offense runs through number 19 if, if uh, the he's not the intended target He's running a decoy route because anytime he's out in the route tree, there's three defenders trying to, you know, kind of cheating his way, which opens up opportunities for Lad McConkey and uh, these other Georgia wide receivers. So, no, he is a true playmaker, even if, uh, you know, we're going to hear plenty of, oh, you can't draft a tight end in the top 10. Well, it, Brock Bowers is more of a, a hybrid weapon than a true tight end. Dane Brugler with us here on the fan. He's from The Athletic. He joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I love Bowers. Uh, I mean, listen, if he went to the Colts, if he went to a number of teams, I love Bowers. How is he different? How is he better? We heard a lot of the same rhetoric around Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts. I mean, yeah. Pitts has been playing in Atlanta. There hasn't been a lot of good quarterback play uh, there. But how, I guess how is he different? How would he be a better pick than Kyle Pitts, who went fourth overall and, you know, right now is 35 catches, 400 yards, and a touchdown for Atlanta? Yeah, no, and that's a fair question to ask because I think that's something that'll come up quite often during the process. Um, and, and I think we have to do, we have to look out, uh, you know, what you mentioned, where he went with the Falcons. Um, I mean, they just, they, they keep drafting these guys, these, these offensive skill players in the top 10, and then they don't really feature them. You know, it's happening with Bijan right now. And I mean, Drake London's been okay, but, you know, the quarterback hasn't been consistent, and they're not really scheming their offense to go through these weapons that they have and Kyle Pitts included. Um, and so even though the production's not there, if Kyle Pitts went to, uh, you know, a pick later to Cincinnati, let's just say the Cincinnati, Mar Chase yeah. and Cincinnati took Kyle Pitts at five, all of a sudden, we look at the, those two picks very differently because, you know, Jamar Chase is probably not the, the same player we think of when we think of, uh, you know, the pro bowler that he is. So, you know, where these guys end up plays such a factor in, in how we, you know, the course of their career, the trajectory. And with Kyle Pitts, I think that's more of a factor here than simply, oh, you know, you just it, it's, it's a cautionary tale about taking tight ends that early. So I, I think that you have to look at uh, Brock Bowers as just a, a weapon. But I do think, like I said, it's important that the offensive play caller is on board with, hey, this is a different type of player that we have to, uh, you know, really adjust our game plan to make sure we're maximizing everything that he can do for our offense. 
God, I think Shane Steichen would be in that boat. Uh, again, Dane oh. Brugler <laughs> is with us You here. want him, don't you? Well, I, I you kind of want Bowers. I think I'm in love. Yeah. yeah Ballard do. wants to go trenches, mm-hmm. and you may want to go with a sexy pick. Uh, but the again, th- edge rush, I, know. I, I can't get away from it too, too much. Dane Brugler is with us. Obviously, outstanding work over on The Athletic. Again, Prospects to Pros. That is the podcast for Dane as well. I actually want to go back to the Colts draft this past year, Dane. I hope I'm not catching you too off guard with this, so I'll bring up the names uh, right right out of the gate. That would be Josh Downs and even Mm Jalen Jones. You were much higher on both of those two guys. I think you had Downs like right around 40 overall prospect. Obviously, the Colts got him to round three. You had Jalen Jones going a couple of rounds earlier than where he went as a seventh rounder, and he's been needed and has been, honestly, I think pretty steady in the handful of games he's started. So feel free to take either of those two or both. Josh Downs, Jalen Jones, why did you like them a little bit more than clearly the NFL did? Well, I understand why Josh Downs did, was not a, a first-round pick. You know, he's under 5'9", he's 172 pounds. Um, like, I, I, that size, with that size, I understand why, you know, he was not, his name was not called in the first 32 picks. But anywhere in the second round, that's where I thought he was in play. Because, you know, you, you watch his film the last two years uh, at North Carolina, and, I mean, he had, like, 200 catches. He's getting open at will. Um, now, I think, you know, because he is a slot receiver, a lot of teams, you know, they have their slot receiver, okay? Josh Downs is not a, a guy that you feel consistently – or you feel uh, can consistently play on the outside. So, you know, a lot of teams with their slot options, they just they, – they were set. And so I think that caused Downs to fall a little bit. But still, to get him outside the top uh, 75 picks was, I I thought, a a pretty big surprise. Um, His ability to decelerate and then accelerate is really impressive. It helps him get open. Um, You know, he's a consistent first down, uh, move the chains type of guy. Uh, You know, consistent catcher of the football. He had uh, well over, I think, 120 targets last year, and he had three drops. Uh, I mean, this is a guy that you can rely on. So the lack of size, that gives you pause. I understand that. But... He's just a tough guy to cover, plain and simple, because of the way that he can get open with his athleticism and then the, what he can do at the catch point. So, yeah, Josh Downs, I thought, was a pretty big steal where they got him. Uh, and then with Jalen Jones, you know, a former really high pick, um, you know, the, the former five-star type of guys who didn't really have the college career that many expected. Is he a safety? Is he a corner? You know, there's a, there's a lot more questions than answers with Jalen Jones. But then when you look at the traits and you look at, okay, he's a really good athlete, uh, you know, he's, he's physical, he, he's got a lot of things, you know, a lot of raw tools that, hey, let's let our coaches get our hands on this guy, see what he can do. Um, and that's what, uh, you know, in the seventh round, you take those types of swings. And, and I think you know, those premium traits, he brings that size, physicality. Um, and, you know, when he's had his chances this year, he's, he's done okay, especially considering where he was drafted. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's why teams draft traits, not production. They draft uh, guys that have the tools and it, it, they trust the coaches to do the rest, especially in those later rounds. I think Jalen J- Jones is a great example of that. Dane Brugler with us here uh, on the Wake Up Call, hanging out with you until 10 o'clock today. Joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I know you liked Anthony Richardson. You liked the Colts mm-hmm. taking him at four since KB asked you about a couple other guys. Uh, I ask you, I guess to fill in the blank, a lot has went into this rookie season. I, I think we have seen that he can play at this level and can do some special things. I'm also terrified at the amount of injuries uh, he's picked up already in his very young career. How should Colts fans feel about Anthony Richardson? What did you see in the first few weeks of the season when he actually did get to play? Well, he was composed. Uh, you know, you were worried. This is a guy that had under 400 career pass attempts in college. You know, would the stage be too big for him? Um, and it certainly was not. I mean, he looked under control of, of that offense. He, he looked like he was, um, you know, ready to take the reins. And it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate that he had the injury. Um, you know, you wanted because this is a guy that needs reps. And that's why it was always... Um, you know, it's not a guy that you want to sit. He he needs to be on the field, get those in-game reps, understand the speed of the NFL, and then, you know, learn on the fly. Take your lumps. There's going to be mistakes, but you understand that. And it's all about the development and getting better and better and better. And unfortunately, that's that's going to be stunted a little bit because of this injury. But, uh, you know, they made the right call, obviously, to kind of shut him down, get him right, coming back next year. You can't predict injuries, 
but obviously this is a player that is going to take some hits with the way he uses his legs. You don't want him to stop running. Uh, that's, that's part of what makes him such a special player. Um, but you know, he's, he has the size that, uh, you know, you hope, uh, the injuries won't be a significant factor moving forward. Um, you know, being six, four, 245 pounds and have that type of athleticism, that, that is a weapon. That's part of what made him, uh, maybe the main reason that made him a top five pick. So, you know, I'm excited for Anthony Richardson moving forward. I'm excited for all these rookie quarterbacks, really, with, uh, you know, what we've seen from C.J. Stroud has been tremendous. Um, Bryce Young, I think, is in a really bad situation yeah. in Carolina, kind of holding him back a little bit. And then, uh, you know, Will Levis and then with Anthony Richardson next year. So, you know, if I'm a Colts fan, I'm feeling optimistic because, you know, it's more of a unfortunate injury rather than something that's been a pattern. I mean, he's played in – uh, every game last year, except for the bowl game, he opted out, but he was healthy last year for Florida. So I don't think this is necessarily a pattern. Uh, we're not to that level yet. Uh, but, you know, hopefully he's able to stay healthy and be on the field because big things happen when uh, he was the quarterback of this offense. All right, Dane, last one from me. Obviously, the Marvin Harrison sweepstakes, the Colts have played too good of football, it seems like, to be mm-hmm. seriously in that. Other wideouts in that teen range to keep an eye on. Yeah, this is it's it's going to be the race to who's wide receiver two because wide receiver one is done. That race is over. Um, I'll be very very surprised if Marvin Harrison Jr. is not a top three pick uh, in April. But then who's wide receiver two? Is it Keon Coleman from Florida State, Malik Neighbors uh, LSU, Roma Dunzier from Washington, uh, Brian Thomas Jr. the other LSU receiver had a, just had a tremendous game over the weekend uh, against Florida, 150 receiving yards. Um, I, there's a lot of really quality receivers that'll be in this class. And the one that's really stands out to me, the, the two that really stand out to me with uh, Malik neighbors from LSU, uh, not, not the biggest guy, six foot, 200 pounds, but his ability to get open, his athleticism, his catch point skills are are big time. He's leading the sec in catches for the second straight year. Um, when he catches the ball, it's an explosive play. He has, uh, he leads the nation in explosive plays, uh, 10 more than number two in the country. 80% of his catches result in a first down or touchdown. Um, so there's just a big, this is a big time playmaker who's still discovering how good he can be. So very optimistic for Malik Neighbors. And then Keon Coleman from Florida State, the Michigan State uh, transfer, former basketball player there as well for uh, Coach Izzo. Um, you know, it's 6'4, 215 pounds. He's a freak. Uh, you know, he is a more athletic, more limber version of like a Mike Williams with the Chargers. You know, he has that size where he can overpower and dunk on guys, but he's also a really good athlete. So he has some speed. He has quickness. Um, You know, there's just a a lot that he has to offer that, uh, you know, you might not even be there when the Colts pick, but uh, there's going to be plenty of receivers there in that top 20 that teams will be considering. And so for the Colts, I, I think they'll definitely have some options. I lied. Last, last one. Michael <laughs> Penix, just because the local connection sure. here. Dane, mm-hmm. um, do you view him as a legit, I don't know, second-round guy? I, I, I feel like he's a very interesting one based off the college production, the injury history, and how he projects to the next level. Yeah, you know, and it, there, the – projections on him are all over the place. Um, You know, some like him in the second round, some like him more in the fourth or fifth round um, in terms of scouts uh, in the NFL. Uh, It's a, it's a wide projection for Michael Penix. Um, You know, he is a, a uh, really productive college player, but how is that going to project to the NFL where, you know, the delivery is a little long. His accuracy is uh, at times pinpoint, but other times it's not. He's throwing to NFL receivers who often bail him out. Um, you know, there's, I, I give him a lot of credit for what he's doing this year. He, he should absolutely be in the Heisman race, but then you factor in the injuries, you factor in the age. And, you know, I, I think we did this last year with Hendon Hooker. You know, whoa, he's going to be a first-round pick. And, you know, a lot of people, some people put him in the top ten, and, and he went in the third round. You know, and I think that's probably more going to be the projection with, with Michael Pinnock's where good college player, some question marks. Um, you know, who's going to be the team that, you know, likes him enough to take him early? Um, it probably won't be until uh, outside the top 50 picks. It is the calm before the NFL draft storm. No one better than Dane <laughs> Brugler to get a little preview of that as the Colts head to their bye week again. Prospect to pros. That is the podcast. His written content over on The Athletic. Outstanding stuff. Dane, always enjoy our conversations, man. Thank you. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Oh, great show. 
Absolute great show, Mark Dyson. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you, you'll figure it out. One of uh, my all-time favorite. Yeah, it really is. Hour number three, nine o'clock hour, hanging out with you. DriveHuber.com studios. Again, you miss any of the show. A lot of Pacers conversation. Dane Brugler, fantastic. Find it, 1075thefan.com uh, on the podcast center there. Let's go back on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. We've been talking a lot uh, today. Pacers winners, 132-126 last night uh, in Philly. We'll get into uh, that game and some ins and outs of the team. But Daniel Tice, not there. Uh, Scott Agnes joins us here. Fieldhouse Files. Scott, good morning. What can you tell us about Daniel Tice not with the team last night? <laughs> yeah, good morning, Andy. A lot of excitement, certainly. I'm sure still from Pacer fans after uh, th- that intense in-season tournament game. Um, but uh, in terms of Daniel Tice, I think his time with the Pacers is nearing completion. I think he's been wanting uh, an active role to be uh, uh, in the lineup, to be in the rotation, and it just hasn't shaken out that way. He's been fourth in the depth chart. Um, so you've, they've looked for trades. They've considered a buyout agreement. Um, but I'm expecting we'll get some clarity and uh, a resolution on that here soon, perhaps as soon as today. Does that surprise you at all? Sorry, KB. Does that surprise you at all that this is how it's going to end for him? It doesn't, because also keep in mind a couple of years ago, it's not exactly that they were trading for him. They were moving on from Malcolm Brogdon, sending sure. him to Boston. They acquired the first-round pick. They acquired Aaron Neesmith. But then they also acquired four other players and all that. And now when you look back at the deal, Aaron Neesmith might, very soon might just be the last man standing uh, from all that deal, remember? Because Brogdon has already been moved since then, to Portland. So uh, that's often how it, how it shakes out. And they, they needed clarity from the center position this offseason. They still somewhat need it in the backcourt, quite honestly. Um, I'm surprised it's taken them into the season uh, for some kind of resolution uh, here with all of this. But, you know, when, when you're a team like this, you're trying to sit back, you're trying to, get a maximize, trying to maximize his value, trying to get some second-round picks or, or – or, some, a young player or some money back in the deal. And the, the trouble was he just has a $9.1 million contract that's owed this season. I was going to say, so you think buyout over trade. I was curious if they could get anything in return for him. That's the latest that I heard as Got of him. yesterday, yes. Again, Scott Agnes Fieldhouse Files, he's all over that one. Let's do certainly give the proper attention to last night as well, Scott. Um, it was a great win. I, I I think that's one. There's not many over the course of an NBA season that we get to like March, April, and I think we'll have vivid memories about. Just that's the nature mm-hmm. of an 82 game season. I feel like that is one we will have some memories about. Just so much chaos, how they handled it all, the road win, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, Andy brought up. You know, there's such youthful energy earlier. I would add to that. I think youthful energy is a great way. To, to put it, I would add they also play with an edge. Like, I think there is a legitimate, like, we have expectations. We we should win this game. Sunday was really disappointing. If you had to kind of describe the Pacers in a few words like that, uh, how would you describe them? Tired of losing is the, is the <laughs> first phrase that comes out, and that's what I plan to write about today, and it's led by Tyrese Halliburton. But, yeah, no, under control, they're poised. Uh, that, that one moment, which is like three minutes into the fourth quarter, where they went back a couple minutes earlier to correct the, the issue, and, it, and there's a lot there. I even had to pull out the rule book last night, KB. But it was a situation where it could have been even more chaotic and a detriment to one team or the other. And I don't think the Pacers allowed for it, even though it hurt them. It allowed the 76ers to make two more free throws. They didn't allow that to negatively impact them. And then, while the defense has not been great um, for the Pacers this season, I will say they have gotten stops late in games at towards the end of the fourth quarter in recent games when it has mattered. And that's a big reason why they've strung together so many wins. They used a quick 10-2 run when the game was within one. Uh, over you know a three-minute stretch, and then there was one minute left in the game, and Philly was in a hole, and the game was over at that point. So I guess to go back to your original question, I would say uh, a feisty, under control, good poise, and tired of losing. Do you guys know how many pages are in the NBA rule book? Oh, I just geez. looked it up. It's not as many as I thought it was going to be. Now, Scott, you... you Scott said, was all over. Yeah. You had a Rule 9, <laughs> Section 2, right? Yeah, so you looked at this last night. I'm looking at the P- the PDF is 74 pages. 
So I don't know. Is that a lot or is that a little, KB, yeah, in your way mind? too much. Well, see, I, I thought I it was going to be the, in the hundreds. I know what the font looks like, <laughs> and it already is stressing me out. Yeah. Oh, it's small. It's small font. Uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, I guess, you know, the first 11 games, and Scott Agnes with us here on the Wake Up Call, Payless Liquors Hotline. What, what, is this team better? What, what are they better at than you maybe thought? What are they worse at than maybe you thought? Uh, first 11 games, just a snapshot. How have they lived up or lived down to your expectations from the preseason? Yeah, by living up, the number one team offensively in the league, while that is still hard to kind of still imagine and, and to achieve, they've done so, and that was fully expected. That's what they've they leaned in on, right? They got Bruce Brown. They got uh, Obi Toppin in the offseason who thrive in transition. They're a top transition team. They want to do that. Uh, they're knocking down and shooting a lot of threes. That's what, that's what this franchise is going to be about right now. Uh, and then to the detriment side, defense is wobbly. They don't have anyone that can guard that 6'8 wing. We saw that. Uh, over the last couple of games, whether it was Maxie in the first one or Tobias Harris in the first half or, uh, you know, what have you. Uh, Joel Embiid's a problem for every team um, out there. I think the assist numbers have been really good, and that's more than just Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, But you're starting to see this group come together. I think if you mention one other detriment, it would be some of the development a little bit. I mean, I, I, I'm stunned that the first-rounders aren't involved in the rotation and at some point. Maybe not every game, maybe not uh, a weekend series like this past one, but uh, basically Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard aren't getting any playing time. Um, a little confounding. And then even last night, uh, we're expecting Benedict Matherin, right, to evolve mm-hmm. into their second-best player, and he doesn't see the floor in the fourth quarter. And I can't say it wasn't the, uh, the right or wrong move necessarily um, before I, I want to go back and watch that, actually. Buddy Heald got 11 of the fourth quarter minutes. But uh, that, for the bigger picture, you got to have Dick Matherin out there. But as we know, Rick Carlisle is all about saying you got to earn the minutes. You want to put the best players out there. So uh, there's, you got that message as well going on. Scott, are we looking at maybe a G League excitement for Jarris Walker at some point? I mean, I mean, he only played in college for one year, and it's not like he was the focal point at Houston. I mean, frankly, I just think he needs minutes, especially if he's going to ride the pine. Yes, and we should. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's a ton of value for him to just sit on the bench and be unable to contribute there. So that's that's the positive element of having a, a G League team. You almost wish he could have done it last night when the Mad Ants were right here and in town and if he could have just returned from the trip a day earlier or what have you and, and get some minutes because uh, that's exactly why Herb Simon bought a G League team in 2015. They're prioritizing that team for development, not necessarily wins, talking about the bad ends. And so I'd like to see him utilize more. And I think we'll see it. Uh, there's, there's no imminent plan. I asked Rick Carlisle about it over the weekend. He said, no imminent plan, but it's something, if it makes sense for both sides, we're going to make it happen. So I would hope to see it soon. Again, Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Um, Scott, with a great recap last night on the Pacers and Sixers. Andy and I were kind of going back and forth on this a little bit earlier. You know, when you have the acronym MVP, you know, I think you can look at that in kind of two ways. You can look at it as most valuable player or best player, um, however you want to interpret that. If it's acronym of most valuable player, emphasis on the value, Scott, I don't know how far on a list I get in the NBA before I'd put Tyrese Halliburton in regards to the to the Pacers. I mean, obviously, Luka, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander, but like, am I missing anybody? I mean, if you talk about most valuable players to their teams, don't you feel like Halliburton is on some sort of top five, top seven list? He has to be. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and, and first of all, I agree with how your description of it. And that's one of my challenges with the real MVP award is everybody could have a different criteria, right? Is it the most outstanding or truly valuable? To me, it's valuable, which means. Maybe LeBron should have won a 10 straight years. <laughs> sure, that's separate, sure. That's a separate conversation. In terms of Tyrese, yeah, the best indicator is just when he doesn't play, when they look the shell of themselves, when they look unrecognizable. Uh, it's that January stretch last year when they lost like 11 of 12 games. Uh, that's and, they, and then it basically pushed them into shifting their priorities for the season. You're right. And that's actually – one thing they do have to improve upon is when he's not out there, if he's in foul trouble, if he's battling an injury, there can't be that big of drop-off. 
but this team is a, a complete byproduct and, and an image of what he is and what he wants to be about. Um, so, yeah, so it'd be hard to name probably more than seven or eight players more value, maybe not even that many, more valuable to their team. Oh, yeah, I don't think we get to seven or eight. I, I don't. I mean, I think he is, you know, if he's out there, they have a chance to be just about anybody to be a playoff team, and you saw it last year when, uh, you know, Tyrese ain't out there, uh, how things can go. And, you know, we talked about this as well, and Scott Agnes with us, we talked about this as well. Just for me, you know, this is a guy, you know, was in college, you know, you're at Iowa State, you're not went, you know, it's not like he was at Duke for three years, right, and made a bunch of deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Then you go to Sacramento, and this ain't Mike Bibby and Bobby Jackson, right? And Peja. I mean, this is a is Lonnie it, Diva. Uh, yeah, or even last year's team in Sacramento. This is a this is a losing Sacramento franchise, and so you know you get the trade, and the Pacers got the better part of that trade. Not that it was a hundred percent to zero, but they got a face of a franchise. And just in the last, you can say, few years or even few months, I mean, Team USA. You know, Halliburton. I really feel like his game is better, right? I mean, he has grown his game. He is a face of a franchise. He has the contract. I mentioned Team USA. Uh, you know, a good vibe with the coaching staff on a young team, on a playoff team. Very much getting that respect, I think, nationally that everybody yearns for. I mean, Scott, just to be Tyrese Halliburton right now, what he means to this team the last several months have to be rewarding for him. And not to mention, this guy's a freak show. He's not turning the ball over, and he plays 38 minutes. <laughs> last night it's unbelievable yeah last nine quarters 33 is zero turnovers and that exceeds like 80 minutes total depending on how far you want to continue to go back like in the nba this was high school and i said you played 80 minutes without a turnover like (laughs) that's unfathomable and this is in the best league in the world so not only is he is he you know setting teammates up and scoring a great ability like you can so easily skip over even just his first quarter first quarters were a problem for this team the first week or two and he banged through four threes and finished with more triples than the entire 76ers team by himself oh then went out and got all those 15 assists and and continues to pile up he just understands he's he knows who he is he knows what he's a he's about he knows what he means to this franchise i even love Excuse me. The simplicity of a tweet last night. He, how did, how, he's been here what two years, and he tweets hashtag boom baby, and that's it. Like <laughs> he, he probably didn't really get to know slick. Like and yet he understands what that means and how important that means to the franchise and how just those two words can mean so much and and fire up a fan base. So he is the real deal. The only thing we really need to see more from him. I would say is, is still needs some work defensively, and that's one thing he emphasized in the offseason. And then just winning. He hasn't experienced a ton of winning since high school, probably. And that's one thing he is on a mission to change starting this year. Scott, I think major hat tips to Obi Toppin for last night. Isaiah Jackson. I mean, that's one of those games where Jackson goes into it thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting into the game. And then sure <laughs> enough, he, he's playing a huge role. But I want to go to Miles Turner in the last you know half of that fourth quarter. Um, he was out there for the first half of the fourth, and Bede is on the bench, and Turner did really nothing. And then all of a sudden, Bede comes in, and I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. This is another foul trouble-filled game with Turner and Embiid. You know, Embiid's going to have some massive stat line. The Sixers are going to pull away, and it's going to be same old, same old. And while Embiid certainly made some plays late, I thought Turner punched back. And, and, and I thought he punched back, whether it was stepping out and hitting a three, getting a rebound, getting a big block, attacking the rim. I just felt like that was a different Miles Turner in the final six or seven minutes. I've been, I think, very honest, and I think Joel Embiid has been his daddy throughout his career, but I thought the final stretch of that fourth quarter, Scott, was a different side of Turner than we've seen. Major kudos to him. Totally agree. I'm glad you brought up not just him, but all the other bigs in that situation, because you're right. First of all, with Miles, yeah, it spoke to the level of maturity and his mentality that we've been talking and writing about, I think, for the last two years, how he's He's got to been this different person, but you're right. To in the clutch time to come out and, and to be clear too, it wasn't just layups or rebounds or alley oops or putbacks. There was one in particular that stood out vividly in my mind. They needed a shot, shot clock winding down. I think he slid up from the corner to the right arc. Uh, his man dropped off a little bit, and he threw up a, a three as if he was a guard right out there and knocked it down. And so. Uh, I thought he he gave them huge minutes in that fourth quarter. And then I do want to go back. Like, Obi, a season-high points, absolutely. But he's being asked to do some things that are terribly 
difficult and new for him. He played 38 minutes, almost twice what he has been per game. He played minutes at the five. Aaron Neesmith, uh, who's kind of the Swiss Army knife of this roster, uh, spent time on, on Joel Embiid in the post a little bit. And then Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, I mean, those 17 minutes, not only productive numbers-wise, I think he had seven and nine, but uh, just kind of to keep the team afloat, to keep their head above water, was so valuable to that team last night when they did not have the depth because of foul trouble uh, inside. Can Scott Agnes with us? Scott, last one is there, and usually you're you're kind of on this. Uh, I find it odd that the Pacers don't play between now and <laughs> Sunday. Is there like a reason for that? I, I just feel like in November, Wednesday, <laughs> Friday, and Saturday nights are usually pretty popular. And I know Adam Sandler is at, at Gamebridge tonight, but I don't think it's one of these like, oh, the circus is in town and we can't be there for a week. Right, no, I don't think it's anything in particular, KB. It's just the way kind of the schedule shakes out. And I think this is a, a reflection or um, a result, perhaps, of what they just underwent a little bit. Remember, at home, they played five five games in seven nights, so got very little break. Then they play these two games in three days. And so I think it's just a matter of it ultimately balancing itself out. The Clippers recently had four days between games. Um, I, I think it's just... How, how their NBA schedule is. And they have already played two uh, in-season tournament games. So then that means this Friday they wouldn't have a game anyway because that's another in-season tournament designation day. Got it. Got it. That makes some it makes sense. sense. Yeah, that does make some sense. Okay, Scott Agnes, again, he's all over. We'll see if some clarity on the Daniel Tice situation happens here in the next X amount of days before the Pacers and Magic. I hit the floor Sunday. That is an early tip time. Uh, 5 o'clock, am I seeing that right? Yeah, 5 o'clock right. uh, here yeah. at Joga game. Batase back in the building and starting for the Orlando Magic. I saw that. Revenge game. Could they bring back <laughs> – fa- Was uh, Greg Foster, was that the assistant coach? Could he it meet – could he meet Goga maybe pregame? That, that might be the Goga <laughs> highlight, frankly, from his time here. I'm not sure where Greg Foster is, and I try to do a great job of keeping up with these guys. I'm not sure what he's up to. Gosh, that was such a wild moment when uh, Andy, for those unfamiliar, Goga Batadze and Greg Foster, assistant coach, they got into it in-game with Nate Bjorkman. And even more so is during the pandemic, there were no fans in the building, really. Just yeah. So their yelling the was, I, I was, it was one of the few games I went to during the pandemic. <laughs> I was there. It was awesome. I mean, there was, you know, a couple hundred of us in there. And I'm like, this is the highlight of the Nate Bjorkran era. The sounds reverberating around the great. arena because everything's empty. Did they have the card? Did did uh, the Pacers have the cardboard no, cutouts? I don't think they're they make you pay fifty dollars no. to put your face in section one hundred and nine. But it was one of the Goga kind of had a short fuse, so I, I actually yeah, really. I'm not seeing Foster unless Wikipedia is lying to me. The last thing I'm seeing is Pacers 2020 to 21. That's all I'm seeing. Yeah, I, I don't see anything. Yeah, hell so. of a way to go out there. For him. He went out swinging. <laughs> yes, literally. <laughs> Scott, thanks for being flexible with us today, man. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'm going out swinging without a Bally question, so it's a good day. Hey. Well, the app worked for the last, what, week and a half, two weeks? You know, it's one of these things I'm like, wait, should I compliment them? And then I'm like, <laughs> wait, I'm paying $19.95 a month for functionality. I don't think they deserve a compliment from me. But I, unless you have Understood. something to add, I think we're good with that, right? Understood, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Things are seem to be working just far, like Andy said. <laughs> Hallelujah. Scott, thank you, ma'am. All right. Thanks, guys.